Hello everyone and welcome to the Australian Performing Arts Teachers Association APADA podcast. APADA acknowledges the custodians and elders past and present of the land on which we work, practice, rehearse, perform and present across Australia. We pay respects to the cultural authority and traditions of the land. The first peoples of this nation express their culture through music, dance and storytelling and it is a privilege to continue a tradition of storytelling and performance in this country. We acknowledge Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander peoples as the first Australians and traditional custodians of the land where we live, learn and work. Everybody and welcome to an, another Apada podcast. Today it is great pleasure to sit down and welcome Fran Hannaway, who is a set designer. She works across theatre, broadcast events, and retail projects. Predominantly, Fran concentrates on set design, set dressing, props, costume design, touring applications, production management, and works across big projects for site management that involves both domestic and international aspects. Fran is a member of the team at Iceworks Design and has been with the team for about six years and is now a senior designer with the company. And she's just finished working with the team at SK Entertainment as a designer for Friends the Musical Parody. Welcome, Fran. Thanks, Lou. Great to be here. Thank you for joining us. I know you've got a very busy schedule, so I really appreciate your time. Um, Let's start off with your early career. For you, where did it begin? Because if... Uh, from reading your bio, you come from a dancing background. I do, yeah. It was, um, I, I grew up dancing, um, predominantly ballet. I fell in love with it uh, and only discovered contemporary dance a little bit later on. So I was in, uh, right the way through high school, I was continuing to dance um, and I I loved art in school and uh, I went then and and I was expecting to go into occupational therapy actually and, and pursue diversional therapies with dance, um, particularly a fit, partic- uh, sorry a particular focus on dance and art and, and oh. use that with occupational therapy. Um, however, I didn't, what happened? I didn't get the right OP. <laughs> oh, <laughs> those magic numbers it just didn't happen. No, so you rethought so, it. Well, it was. Um, a good friend of the family who we bumped into a shopping centre who said, hey, I've just had an interior designer come through my house and she raved about this course at QUT. I think you should really check it out. And I was, I'd was i only just graduated year 12 and I didn't know what I was doing. And then I went, okay, I'll go home and check it out. And according to my mum, I came and bouncing out of the study um, and in love with what I'd read on on. The website, uh, and so I then pursued uh, interior design at QUT, and I it's always a bachelor of design, um, focusing interior design, and I graduated uh, in two thousand eleven. So the original thought was to go in and refurb and design homes and offices, and was was that what you were thinking, or were you looking at that? Like, so you didn't do a traditional set design degree no. as such, so you, you took a completely a very, different path. Yeah, a very, um, a very practical base. So right through that, the the bachelor with interior design, I was still dancing. Oh right. And so I, um, we had moved house as a family, and I uh, just location wise wanted to change studios. Um, because it was, just, I guess, convenient. I'd stopped for a little while, I think through grade 12, and then I was um, one day running with my brother going for a run in the area. We ran past a studio that was a few streets away and um, that in that time it was Kim's Dance Studio but now it is Mill Street Studios and it's owned uh, by Claire Marshall. And I met Claire um, by running past the studio and saw one of her contemporary classes and uh, then my brother and I joined the dance studio and 
and it was through that connection with Claire and the my first introduction to contemporary dance that I I found something that I truly loved in in dancing. Ballet is phenomenal for that. For for me, it was a, a basis of strengthening muscles and getting all of the the disciplines down, and then the application. I really found. Um, the joy in, in contemporary with Claire. And do you still contemporary today? I did actually do a, I, I did ballet class this week for the first <laughs> time in actually a few years. So a little little tender um, or little tender, yeah, <laughs> but I'm I'm keen to go back next week. So that's exciting. Oh good. Um, so yeah, I still I love moving. Um, I still to this day love moving. So um, that journey with Claire in, in contemporary um, at the time, Claire, we as part of the studio, we also had a, a youth dance program um, called Test Pressing, um, which Claire still runs today. And uh, the uh, experience there was um, that w- that we put on a show, and we, through Claire's experience and direction, we partnered with her and collaborated with her from elements of the set through to understanding production, uh, all, all of the um, management of that process. Um, so it was all of the production roles and then through to also choreography and then performing in it as well. So it was a so, whole of stagecraft experience. Uh, yes. And yeah. that started you thinking, oh, and there's I more think, avenues. I think Claire could see the spark in my eye because... <laughs> I, I tended towards the design elements because oh. I was studying interior design and I, I kind of really found this um, enjoyment and fascination towards the design elements of that production process. Uh, and I think it's something Claire saw in me and then um, fanned the flame. Right. It was through her encouragement and um, the, the opportunities there. So you finished... You're still in the contemporary dance world, loving it, working on productions with Claire. You finish your interior design degree at QUT mm. and then what are you thinking? Set design? Well, actually it wasn't cl- as clean cut as that. It wasn't, right. Yeah. So coming out of QUT, I started with um, the uh, – what's – I know it is QGAO, but it's it's the accommodation office, so Queensland Government Accommodation Office. And I actually spent five years working with the accommodation office, managing office accommodation for public servants, whilst I was still figuring out what to do with production. Right. <laughs> so, yes, you deviated again, but still going to class all this time, still I gather. Still going to class. Still part of the process. Yes. Absolutely. I, I was still going to class. I was teaching um, some afternoons. I was teaching some um, ballet classes as well. Uh, and I, I couldn't – it sounds strange sitting on this side of it, but back then I couldn't quite yet see the clear line through to set design. And how did you find the line? Like what, 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 how did you go, okay, I need to go in this direction now? And after, after making those decisions, was it somebody else that mentored you into that position? Did you just go, I need to move in this direction? I need to get out there in industry mm. and do whatever I can to move into that? How did, how did you go about that process? Okay, so uh, I was uh, in working at the Gov and I needed to – uh, sorry, the gov. That's that's very. <laughs> we all know who you're talking about. <laughs> I was working, yeah, I was working there with an incredible team, and it was um, negotiating with them on my hours, um, where on whether it was. Uh, I think I t- changed it to a temporary part time contract, so that I could allow my flat hours to be flexible. Right. So it was a very understanding employer if I can summarise it like that. Yeah. So they understood... Because you've still got to pay the bills. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So they understood that I I wanted to pursue something else and they were such an understanding employer to, to assist me. They actively assisted me to pursue that. So that was a really incredible experience um, to have that support in the midst whilst I was still... You know, meeting meeting the the job targets and the day to day processing um, with that job, it was um, 
they allowed me to shift my hours around so that I could pick up more classes or attend rehearsals or so wow. that was through that process um and then so um 2013 so I was still dancing with Claire um doing a number of different projects uh, attending a number of different classes loving still dancing myself and performing um we then Claire gave me the opportunity. She invited me to design her her next show, oh. and that was in two thousand um, two thousand and fourteen. So the show was Flaunt at Brisbane Powerhouse down in the Vizzy Theatre, and I think Claire saw in me. Um, I th- I think she want she wanted to give me the opportunity to step into the industry, and that was the open door. And that's the door that opened it to go, yes. A, probably to, you know, concrete those foundations of this is where I want to go as well as take on a lot of, um, you know, trials and errors, I'm sure. I mean, the first time we do everything, it can be quite overwhelming, can't it? So, Oh, my goodness. I look back to that, that um, <laughs> set design with all that I know now and um, it's – yeah, look, I'm I'm still really proud of it and, and what I achieved in that. Uh, it was um, a bit of a formidable task, <laughs> I think, for the very first, you know, my very first set design with Claire. It was um, it, essentially the whole show was dependent on on this particular set piece, and if, if well, I think one of the conversations we had that if I didn't really pull it off, it was like the just it. The show wouldn't work, um, so it was high stakes. Um, <laughs> but I, I learned. I think that's something I've always really um, pursued is is practical understanding. And well, I always say that you know you you need to do your study. I think um, academia and all those types of things are incredibly important. But the yeah. application of the practical just reinforces the learning and of course a textbook can never cheat quite teach you those 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 other hints and tips and the industry experience so to bring together all of that and and you know like everything it's um building that experience learning from that experience and how you might do it differently or that worked really well so yeah major so how long did this show run Oh, the the show was. I think it was about two weeks. Oh, yeah. So you would have yeah. had maintenance and. Um, yeah, there was some set maintenance. Set maintenance. We did a rehearsal season in one of the other, or uh, a re- rehearsal season in one of the other studios, and then we shifted the set across to the theatre. Um, and so, yeah, there was. Um, I learnt so much. We also it was site specific, so we used parts of the busy um, part of the seating bank actually. Um, the in-floor seating became um, part of the set and so working with site-specific aspects of that show as well um, was something very brand new and a steep learning curve. Um, <laughs> but I am really passionate about problem-solving and I think as designers we are. Oh, definitely. Um, and and so, yeah, you you figure it out and, and problem-solve your way through. And that's part of your role too, isn't it? Absolutely. Someone's got this vision and your job is to implement that division that that vision make it happen yeah um and um and you know the all-rounded performance of of what that person the artistic director or choreographer is trying to achieve yeah so how did you get to iceworks so um can i fill in a little bit in between yeah so that process you asked me before about um who who was that next per like next step? What was the next step? So between designing that first set at at uh, or for Claire in the powerhouse, and then straight after that, I knew I needed more intel. I needed to find other people in the industry who I could ask for advice. Um, so I actually did a short course at NIDA. So I signed up and went. Uh, I I think I'll do their short course. So it was a short course in set and costume design. It was a, like a one of their summer programs. Um, so, so I went down So that's at eight weeks or six no, weeks? No, it was actually only one week. One week. Oh, yeah. okay. So it was quite – it was an intensive. Yeah, yeah. All right. And so I went down because I, I felt like I just needed to talk to, talk to the people and 
do do part of the course that um, to see if it's what I wanted to pursue. Mm. Um, in or and if I needed to do more study, of course that was yes, the thing the because I was coming from an interior design background, and I and I was learning as I go, all like through theatre terminology and all the practical knowledge of, of what happens inside a theatre. I was learning, I learned that on the job for for Flaunt. And so I needed to ask a lot of questions. That's that's <laughs> basically, I came out with a lot of questions. I mean, I need to ask this. Um, so yeah, I did the short course at NIDA and I had a chat with them, showed them my what I'd done so far and I had a chat with the um, staff there and they said, because at this stage they weren't running the master's program for production design. Oh, okay. Uh, so they said, look, based on the course that you have already done, um, we'd recommend you get as much practical experience as you possibly can in all the areas that you need to communicate with. That was the best possible advice that I have received at that point because I then diversified and pursued other avenues in theatre and that connect with set design so that I could understand all of the different roles that I need to talk to as a set designer. So I went and I became a theatre mechanist at Brisbane Powerhouse. Right, so you got right into it. Backstage yep. for a couple of years, yep. yeah. I then had a connection with, through the being a mechanist at Brisbane Powerhouse, we had uh, CPS, so there it's um, a company from Melbourne, um, with Keith Courtney and Christian Wagstaff, and they brought House of Mirrors to Brisbane Powerhouse, and I met them and I worked on their build, which is a um, complete construction build of uh, it's, a, it's an outdoor mirror maze. It's it's huge. It's it's a it's, it's cranes it's and globally, steel global and festivals. <laughs> like yes, yeah, it's industrial. Mm. Yeah, we have. Um, a crane on site, and we crane lift a hundred mirrors into um, steel I beams. The the base structure. So I went on tour with them. Right, where did you go? So you started at the Brisbane Powerhouse. Brisbane Powerhouse, and then um, then it was Sydney, Adelaide, Melbourne. We also did, and I'm getting the order mixed up a little bit here, but we've also <laughs> done. Um, Bendigo, Bathurst, um, Adelaide again, Brisbane again. So it was part of Brisbane Festival another for another season. Uh, and then we went to Singapore, Auckland and Toronto. Dive straight in, Fran. <laughs> and this was already designed House of Mirrors. Were you yes. part of the design process or was no. it that production management, being on site, making sure that this massive jigsaw puzzle for people to experience over, you know, some would have been two weeks, some would have been four weeks. Yeah, program. I think the shortest time was two weeks. Yeah, definitely. Um, for then, festival work. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. There was, I think, Melbourne Festival, they extended it. Wow. And so I think it was in there for six or eight weeks. It was a long period of time um, because it, it was it just was so popular. And so then when you go on an international tour, as most of us know, those whole logistics and timing and packing and... Language barriers. Language barriers. And there's quite a substantial list. So, um, again, probably one of those lots to learn as you go, think through, staying ahead. Um, I, think, I think all of the team would agree <laughs> that Singapore was... Um, the, a very eye-opening. And it's one of those very things, steep isn't it, learning when, the, when the, you know, people come and enjoy these amazing experiences, yeah. not just the weeks but the months of planning to arrive at that destination and meet those timeframes yeah. and meet that build and, you know, it is just an astronomical body of work. Mm. Um, but from the front it just looks so easy. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I think – so my role with them, um, I was – 
basically touring construction and build manager. Um, and I think my my knowledge of, of the build um, allowed me to also run their crews. So we would have in each city that we travelled to, um, we would have a local labour that was hired to assist us in the build, um, like labourers um, to do heavy lifting. And sometimes we'd also have skilled carpenters in the mix as well because there's a, there's a steel mirror, the, the mirrors are in a steel frame right. that we crane lift in and then to... Um, join the whole maze together so that you get the illusion, these timber columns. And so we've got this steel and timber mix. And so managing carpenters and understanding their role and managing labourers and understanding their role, uh, it, it was a lot of people management in that process How too. How big was the, was the, the um, crew component? Um, we would usually have two to four skilled carpenters, yeah. um, depending on the availability of people and the time frame that we needed to do it in, uh, and then four to six labourers, so about ten um, yeah. or up to ten. And of course, outdoors, you never know sometimes what the elements are going to be, so you're thinking about that too, as well as yeah. what their needs are in order to deliver this within time frame. Absolutely. Um, and I think the thing about Singapore, it was... Um, Almost, there was one day where we had almost like monsoon rain. Wow. Uh, and so it completely, st- you just stop build. Um, it's, it wasn't a light drizzle. Um, and, and picking that back up when you when your site is, is sinking basically into the mud. <laughs> so, um, yeah, you, you're tackling elements of being outside as well. Again, problem solving as you go through all the way. Yeah. Yeah, huge. And yeah. we won't even get into risk assessment, workplace health and safety and all those things that are part of and a massive build as that. So, yeah, I went through House of Mirrors be a couple of years ago now and oh, it's just tremendous. Loved it. it. It's pretty old school in that I think old that's school. What I, I think yeah. that's what I loved. So tangible. You know, it took me straight back to childhood. It was an instant mm. connection, but it was better. Yeah. yeah, gave me. Yeah, it did. It just had this whole emotive connection for me as a kid, um, and it was really good to see kids enjoying that as from an adult perspective. Yeah, loved yeah. every second of it. So now you're at IceWorks. Yeah. So through to IceWorks, I actually um, when was that? 2015. I um, cold emailed Jason. <laughs> You cold emailed. <laughs> Instead of cold call. Reached out um, in a very warm way. I, yes, yeah, so. Um, Why did you reach out? What what did you see that you went, I think that's my next step? Okay, so I was tutoring at QT yep. in design. Right. And it was a contact, a, a friend of a friend um, who I, he was actually, at the same time that I was wanting to pursue um, set design, he was a lighting designer going into industrial design. Oh, okay. So we were like crossing <laughs> over. crossed paths. And so I had a coffee with him and I went, you've got the intel I need to go the direction I'm going. <laughs> and that's where I'm going. <laughs> and so he said, give, give Jason a call um, or, or an email and, and I think he'll uh, – so that was Dan Cook and um, I ended up emailing Jason and – uh, and initially I approached – so Jason's got two companies. They've got JLX Productions, which is um, more of a, a service-based company for all of the production roles. Uh, and then we've got uh, Icewix Design. So uh, set we design, build and deliver um, sets for a, across a variety of industries. So – um, I started that conversation with Jason around JLX, not not fully understanding the their, dynamics of the yeah entities. the two businesses. Yep. Yep. Um, and so I came in and I, I had a coffee with him and, and told him uh, who, who I was, what I'm really interested in pursuing. Showed him my work um, in in a portfolio, and he said, "Just just hold on a minute. I think you need um, Gavin." So Gavin is our creative director here at Iceworks Design. And uh, Gav came up for a chat and it was a week later that I started in the workshop. Oh, okay. So, so I you weren't started, at a desk in an office. No, indeed. You hit the floor. For two and a half years. Two and a half years. What did you do? Um, well, initially I worked on the um, – I, I was a trade assistant. Um, so uh, that was – that very first project uh, was Mercedes-Benz Fashion Festival 
2015. Yes. Um, and I was just assisting the carpenters. Um, I was foiling walls that that very first um, first project, and it was it wasn't full time initially. It was um, as needed. So at the same time, I was still working as a mechanist at Powerhouse. Yeah. And I was managing this as well. So balancing a couple of things as you're moving forward. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. Which, which I think a lot of people, as they're starting to come through the industry or step out in the industry, don't fully understand sometimes that there, there is that balancing act as you're building your experience and working your way in and, and it's the process many have gone through. Yeah. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Um, and so through that, I think there was, there was one distinct day that I was still trade assistant here working at Brisbane Powerhouse and I had just finished my shift for that day or the work that was to be done and I um, came up to the office to, to have a chat with Gav and, and just find out what the next work kind of timelines were in the coming weeks. And um, I actually I said offhand and I said, oh, you know, I... I prefer working here than Brisbane Powerhouse, right? And he goes, I'm oh, really? I said, yeah, I love it here. Like, I want to do more. Like, if I can work full time here, I, this is where I want to be. And, and he goes, oh, okay, great. That's really good to know. Is it one of those things that people don't know unless you say really? Isn't you it? really, yeah. You really I need think to say. it's, there, is, there are so many things that we, I guess we assume that is one way or another yeah. and it, it's not any any fault of anyone's but it's just like, oh, well, I, you know, she seems to really enjoy, you know, being a theatre mechanist but I actually, my end goal has always been design um, because I love that so much. I just needed some practical runs on the board um, with understanding how sets are built and understanding how they're used. So I already had the understanding as a performer on the, on the performance side of things, but understanding how they're used backstage and, and the function of how they're, they're used in the theatre. And then, yeah, through to practical knowledge of, of how they're built as well. Oh, that's right. It's one of those things, isn't it, to understand the foundations of how that needs to come together mm. because construction and mechanists and they need all that intel to be the very best that they can be when it's time to do those moments. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and then it allows you to be a better designer. Like you really, if you are armed with that intel, you can use it to your advantage in your design rather than getting all the way through the design process and then finding out that it's not actually practically possible. And possibilities, a number of things, isn't it? Budget. Yes. Time constraints. Yeah. Um, whether it's touring. There's so much to consider at the very beginning of the, the design process. So while you're looking at, you know, what it needs to look like and what it needs to deliver for performance and size of theatre and all those things, the list mm. goes on. The design process needs to start with a full understanding right at the very beginning on what the outcome of that, mm. that piece that shows for. Absolutely. Um, coming into – so I, I moved from trade assistant and workshop and gradually took on more design hours assisting Gavin in the office. So sometimes my weeks were split across workshop and office. Um, so just in that – like almost a design assistant role. Um, but I still – I was coming with the understanding of interior design with full like drafting understanding. Well, you'd have to, wouldn't you? I mean, mm. you do what two D drawings, you do three D renders. It's you that's know, an interesting story, yeah, actually. It's, it's and and that is a process that's yep. changing and and adapting all the time mm. as technology and what we're working with changes. Yeah, absolutely. Um, through this is a, a little uh, anecdote on my uni years. Um, through my uni degree, I actually um, I I loved hand rendering and hand drawing. Oh, mm. that's changed a little. <laughs> and so it was a beautiful because I think it was the artist in me um, that that you get this quality in that presentation style. Um, but it's just not practical. 
full stop. Would in, you still lean on it though? Like as oh, a absolutely. like for yourself, like what well, yes, look where it's you know, into the technologies and, and how you do things now and time constraints and whatnot. But would you you'd still lean on that skill for yourself personally on where you need to go and how you're going to do it? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. It's it's I see drawing as a communication tool. Yeah. Uh, and and problem solving. We draw um all the time, whether it's on the gigantic whiteboard um, that is in our office, or or whether it's just on a page in front of me, um, even you know, we we often have um, some clients uh, send drawings in that we call napkin CAD because <laughs> napkin CAD. Oh, can I? I've done um, it. I'm so sorry. Yeah. <laughs> and our, our um, sometimes we have uh, uh, our construction manager provide us some drawings in there. His name's Lee, and so it's a Leometric view or a Bobometric view. If it's Bob who's pr- provided the drawing, so there's yeah, there's a there's a real practical and application looking, for drawing. Yeah, and it's diff- It's generational as well. So how they've learned and how they apply it, or where they've learned, yeah. and bringing that language to one, and you know everything's just moving forward so quickly with how we communicate and what we need to do with technology. Yeah. So, so I actually learnt, I I. Because I used in uni, I used CAD. But coming here, I learnt Corel Draw. Ah, oh, right. From scratch, Gavin taught me. Yeah. Um, uh, Corel Draw and 3ds Max are the two programs that we use primarily. Um, also some Photoshop as well, um, and it to to produce 3D models and renders, and a full set of construction plans for a project. And it's one of those things in communication right at the very beginning of design. The client is looking to see and they're visual about it as well. Like they're constantly looking at how, you know, the whole all stage elements work across, you know, entry, exit and, you know, numerous possibilities that mm. they need or they must have. Mm. Um, and that visual and I, um, I, do you still build to scale models as well as you need to? Um, no. There you go. Change again. Yeah, that's how, so that's yeah. that's one thing that we've really um, that we probably we do very differently to most of the other um, theatre designers, uh, and and almost that uh, path through the industry. Um, mm. Often you have set designers, and we sometimes we we work with set designers who will build a model box at one is to twenty five scale of of the show that they're designing, uh, and then the that model box will be used as a reference throughout the project. Um, so if, if the show is designed by someone else, we uh, work through construction design um, at, at, to varying levels. Uh, and, yeah, it's, it's just a different way that we approach it because um, th- a 3D model allows you to make the changes very quickly but also... Uh, we can we we actually now uh, host our models online and have uh, we we can send the three D model to the client and they can um, turn it around play with it for the example of of Friends the Musical um, I was able to show um, the the set to to the lighting designer the director the producer all of those different roles, and then they can use that uh, as if they're almost standing in the space. And, you know, especially with what we've been through in the last 12 months, you just can't get everyone in a room. Mm. And if people are working on other projects and they're elsewhere, this just brings that all in where people can focus on it. And it's accessible. It's, it's accessible. And yeah. um, um, and those that way forward, I think, will continue for lots of different, you know, business aspects across theatre um, because we've learnt that we can so it makes a difference. It, it is actually really wonderful. And I only, only had this experience this week um, for, for the next arena show that I'm designing for Harvest Rain. It's We Will Rock You. Um, we had a production meeting this week um, and I, was, I showed them the, the model online for the first time um, so that the, and gave it to them to, to play with um, in their um, development process uh, as they're developing the show and to see that experience with where they get to have this and every person gets to have it and it doesn't matter where they are they can have access to this model and um for for planning the show and developing it 
Yeah. Let's was. just chat about – we were rocky while we were on it. Um, so this is a project from my understanding, and why we can't say a lot because it's in development, but this started 12 months ago. And then mm. of course, the world changed. Mm. Um, the pause button was hit. Mm. How does it feel pulling out a project that you initially started on? Because I'm sure there's been change and and you've had – you know, artistic directors have had time to, you know, think about – Things that other things that they might want to implement. So mm. while you've got this existing body of work that was just put on hold, what's it feel like to, to pull that back out and the realization button that we're moving forward again and yeah. and um, those types of things. That particular one, um, I I went back through my emails initially to kind of go, okay, so when when was the last communication on it and where were things at a year ago. Um, and I think it was almost a year to, to within the same week. Like it was oh, wow. February yeah. last year that I was um, presenting the design to them in the, the initial concept. So it it's very surreal having not been in that creative headspace for 12 months. Um, and I guess it was this re-immersion process where I had to get into all of my um, – uh, or get those creative juices flying. So to t- talk about it this way, um, I've just come off f- designing set and costumes and props actually for Friends, the musical parody. Yes, and congratulations. I did get to see opening night and um, thoroughly enjoyable to to all the cast and crew that worked on that one. It was um, a really great way to start opening theatre and have a giggle it was fantastic it was just so nice to be back in the atmosphere thanks Lou it was <laughs> it was a real treat and an absolute joy a uh, bit of a roller coaster ride to um from from when we knew you know the show was up and running for Gold Coast um for February so that was about um October maybe November last year so it was get your running boots on over Christmas and and through into the new year but moving from something that was 90s focused and a complete riot when it comes to the parody side of things. Shifting gears into a rock concert. Yes. We will rock you. Yes. Kind of like sci-fi-esque narrative with Queen songs throughout. It almost felt like... It's like, you know when you're changing gears in a manual car and you don't quite get it in gear <laughs> and, and it kind and of grinds like an automatic a crunchy? Yeah, you're yeah. a little rusty. Yeah. That's what it felt like because it's, it's so – they're worlds apart as, as theatre shows. And so I had to find ways to shortcut that process because the deadlines weren't changing. No, well, that's the other thing too. It's kind of like – you know, we're moving to what the new norm is and it's just buttons and going. And that's because people have had, you know, things on hold for 12 months. And everyone, But at yeah. the same token, it's just so wonderful to see everyone just hit the go button um, and just keep moving forward. And, and that's super exciting. So when you talk about your methodologies and the transition that you yes. just said, what is your process? So you've had a production meeting this week. What's the breakdown for you? Where do you start on a new project? A really clear brief from the client. A really and and yeah. what what are you looking for in that really clear brief? Um, for for a theatre show, it's uh, talking through with the director what they envisage for the show. Um, some some people I've worked with have really clear, really clear direction. So, uh, for example, Claire. Working with Claire Marshall, um, she she's got quite in the shows that we did together. She's got a really clear picture of of that direction. So that she's done a lot going. of the mapping before she even comes to speak with you to start going through that. This brief. is what I like to see, kind of the, talking me through that. What right? Yeah. So envisaging the show, if you like, um, and and sometimes you don't get that from the director that you're working with or the excuse me production team that you're working with. Um, and so it's, it's a process of almost extracting that brief out of the client and 
finding different ways to um, to define what the scope is of the project. If they don't have a, a very specific image of what it should look like, um, then we that that's okay as well. It's just understanding where the client's coming from is yeah, what's really... The, what's the connection? Yeah. And, there's, and a, there's a lot of collaboration in here too, isn't there? I mean, and management of expectations. Yeah, management yeah. of expectations, collaboration across artistic directors, lighting designers, yourself there as a set designer, you've got choreographers. Um, it, you know, it's, it's a moving... Um, beast where a whole heap of people in the background are coming together to mm-hmm. make this synchronise and and work. Mm-hmm. So I'm assuming, you know, you're working with lots of different people to hit those expectations and benchmarks as well as what people's needs are, as well as make the timeline of what needs to be in the rehearsal room by when, how does the costuming look, the lighting bouncing off that, construction and mechanism working, you know, building it. Um, you've advertised a date. You've advertised, yeah. you sold know, tickets. you've sold tickets. Um, there's moving forward and, and that can be a lot of pressure. Yeah, indeed. I think that's the beauty of working here at um, Icebex Design. We have a team uh, and and we all have our own specific skill sets. Yeah. Um, we, we cross, um, we have crossovers as well, but the beauty of working with the team um uh, Gavin and I often collaborate on on projects um, or um, th- throw ideas around um, and and solve problems together with the construction team as well. Um, so, yeah, there's there's a lot of internal collaboration here uh, as well as with the particular show uh, production team that I'm working with um, at that time. So, uh, initially, I'm working quite closely with the director to really hone down the direction of the show the director and often the producer as well um, in that process. And then all the while checking in with the production manager on on the practicalities um, of whether it's touring or whether, you know, bump-in times in the venue or uh, ensuring that the the mechanism by which the set is built and put together is suitable for the outcome that they need to manage. And I'm um, assuming you're in the rehearsal room too for... For, for some of it, yeah. To watch it, to watch how those dynamics are changing, or if yeah, um, how how what you're put together and and um, what everyone's saying to work with, um, you know, you get to a point there can't be major changes, mm. but making sure that its functionality for that performance is super important. Yeah, absolutely. I think um, some of the the what comes about in the rehearsal room. Um, that I had this experience recently that it doesn't necessarily mean that it is it if something's not working it might not be a a physical fix um like if something's not working in the time of the show or or in um in actors cues or, or things like that if they just if there's something that's just not working um it might not be that the set needs to change mm. or the costume needs to change but it might need be that the solution is um, more focused rehearsal time or or needs some actual choreography around that moment. Um, so it might be a, um, not a physical built fix, but it, it might be something that is more rehearsal time required or that that kind of thing. I think it's a... It's well, a Problem-solving you know, process. It is, and, 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 and it's, it's a whole of, of company sometimes. I mean, I think you and I were only talking a few weeks ago about, you know, the level of costume changes that is in Friends the Musical. Mm. And I don't think people fully realise that, of course, watching the show because you're yeah. so absorbed in what's happening for you and the hilarity in front of you. And having never watched really the Friends yeah. series um, back in the 80s, still got it, it was still fantastic. But I noted the number of costume changes... Um, and not everyone in the audience would, but I was like, there is some streamlined costume changes happening back there because it was quick, mm. it was fast because the timing of a show like that is just imperative and it is by the beat. Um, so, you know, what, what were we looking at in costumes? You were the costume designer. Yeah, so that was – I have done some costuming work before but not to this scale. Yeah. So essentially at this level that was my very first show that I designed costumes for uh, and I was very involved in the um, some of the fabrication of it as well because we needed to 
there was uh, about 50 costume outfits uh, for seven cast members across a 90-minute show. There was no room for buttons here from what I can no. see. No. No. <laughs> Lots of Velcro. <laughs> Lots of Velcro. I think, I think they're using magnets You'd never know well. from the front, but, yeah, amazing. Yeah, so um, finding ways with the cast that the, everything's pre-set pre back show. Back, sorry. Everything is pre-set <laughs> at the top of the show yeah. before, before the audience is in uh, so that they have everything that they need in, within reach. Well, it's one of those things, isn't Backstage, it, when we say yeah. words like choreography, immediately we think about what's in front of us. And, mm. But the choreography that's happening off stage is just as immense. And sometimes that's, you know, set. I, I watch the beautiful transitions of of the actors moving and flipping rooms between cafe. Yeah. And, and I thought, oh, it was just seamless. It was just beautiful. And then when I started seeing all these different costume changes and multiple characterisation going on, I was like, who's choreographer? Who's done all the choreography back there? Because um, it was it was intense. It was excellent. Honestly, the, the amount of time that they have is so short mm. that – you do have to choreograph whoever's assisting with that costume change backstage. You have to choreograph like where they put their hands mm. and and who's doing what. So one person's on shoes and necklace, the next person's on coat and belt, and 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 what what's the actor doing in the process as well, like the wig and and everything. Um, so it is it is a choreographed process oh, as much is. off stage. I'd have to say I love it. Like yeah. I, I find, and people don't understand sometimes what's happening in those back corners um but truly truly amazing one of the things i really wanted to touch base with you and i think it's really important in the industry that you work in and and um i think a skill that you doesn't matter how good you are at something it's the interpersonal skills and the communication mm. how did you go because that doesn't naturally come to uh that's again an experience i think building with different personalities but those mm. interpersonal skills and those connections are really important for what would, what you do. What would mm. be some some tips or your thoughts? Uh, we have a, a saying here, and I, I think it's something that we've really uh, learnt from Gavin, and and I hundred percent agree with is pick up the phone. I think in an email, like an email age, or or you know yep. when we're communicating so much on on email and on devices, um, picking up the phone. We also, you know, follow up with emails afterwards and, and put everything in writing. But there is so much to be gained by a conversation, uh, and I think in that process, not everybody's, not everybody likes phone calls. Not everybody wants to be on the phone. I think we've uh, we've certainly found that, um, but we we prefer it. Oh, I feel um, the same. I think, uh, and not only that, though, a conversation can achieve so many things that you need so quicker. I actually saw a, a post the other day where um, it was a artistic director and and they actually just put out an interpersonal um, message to their company and they said, please don't DM me about this. Call me. Yeah. Because you think about it, you've got emails coming in and now we've got messages happening on whether that be LinkedIn or social media platforms, whatever. And it, sometimes just one conversation resolves so much. Absolutely. Mm. Uh, it can be, you know, one conversation versus multiple emails. Um, simple, a simple explanation is if you're trying to book a meeting, <laughs> pick up the phone <laughs> yeah. um, rather than, yeah, multiple emails back and forth. But I think um, we really value the people we work with and th- that is as much for our clients as our suppliers. Yeah, wonderful. And we really value developing those long-term relationships with both, um, and and our the people that we have on staff as well, whether it's casual or full time, and we really really value relationships and making those connections. And so I think that is picking up the phone is one step towards that. And you know, when we talk about those long term relationships and making those connections, sometimes you might be on short projects, but some of them are, you know, six to twelve month projects that you're working on as you're moving forward yeah, to that advertised date. And um, so, communication, connection, really important. Um, but time management as well. Yeah, absolutely. Um, time management is is something that I've had to really work on myself. Oh, okay. 
Yeah. So this would be one of your challenges, you think? Um, I think I've come a long way. Yeah, right. Yeah, in in understanding um, how to divide my time. I think one of the challenges that Gavin and I face in the office is um, having consolidated time on a project to, to get enough uh, time on it to make progress. So often we're actually picking up and putting down projects all the time. And so you have to almost reintroduce yourself to the project and, and into that headspace on a daily basis. Yeah, that's right. And the and creative you, process isn't necessarily fast. No. As you're going through your numerous, you know, problem solving that and, we're talking and about the, before. We talk about the, the design tap. Oh, it's right. Like we, we're in an industry and in this business that, that kind of requires us to turn the design tap on and off as, as fast as possible. I've never thought about it that way. And, yeah. it, and design, it doesn't really... Like I, I lived and breathed friends for about four months because your brain, from a design perspective, brain doesn't switch off. And so, you know, round the clock, you, you're solving problems even if it's, you know, in the back while you're cooking dinner, in, in the back of your mind while you're cooking dinner. Like it's, it doesn't stop when you go home at five o'clock at the end of the day. Yeah, it's and true. So just, it's just not a clock off, is it? It's, no. it's. Mentally, I, I have had to find things to, to give myself a break and to to just um, allow for that um, relaxation and then back into the design yeah, what process. Is that, what is that? I always say, what is that thing that that I that I thoroughly enjoy? That my mind is blank for that be an hour, whether it be thirty minutes, and for some people, it's you know, it might be. For meditation or whatnot, but it's really important to have that. I think as a, mm. as as the intense work that we do, mm. that um, you find what that switch off is. Absolutely, yeah. yeah. I think um, it's yeah. Whether it's, I think some people find that as exercise. Um, I I certainly you know found that last week when I did the ballet class. Yeah, you just um, go in and you've actually switched off for forty five, and I've got to focus on something else. You know. Um, but yeah, it was, um, it's an interesting process to, to turn that design tap on and off um, because you do have to manage that time. And we, we quote all of our design jobs, uh, before we design them. Right. And so we look, we try and, um, ascertain the, um, brief from the client with as much detail as we possibly can. We need to know their timeframes, um, the the scope of the project, so what they're wanting us to deliver um, from a design package. Um, we need to know if it's touring, how many touring venues. We need the, the touring information as well. Uh, and then um, looking at, we quote our hours. So from the get-go of the project, we actually allocate our hours across concept development, 2D drafting for construction, 3D modelling and rendering, uh, and then um, management of the project mm. as well. And then we've also got graphic design if, if the project calls for it um, in that design element. So we actually quote all of that up front and so it's our job as a designer. You're managing your time to a budget and that is critical. And are you also managing the budget for the construction side as, as well, I gather? So it's also one of those things right from the very get-go that you're going, right, this is how much budget I've got to build this piece as well. So it's managing maybe constraints, maybe not, on what that can achieve within that budget. And that all needs to happen at the very start. Absolutely. That's part of our conversation with the, the brief and the scope of the project is is the big budget question yeah. um, with our client because um, one of the things that, that we say here is that we can design a, a set for 5000 500000 Yeah, how long is the piece any, Anywhere in between those two numbers or more. like. Yeah. We can design a set for that much, but it depends on what budget the client has. We actually, as designers, our role is to design to the budget. Mm. And we have seen it time and time again where some designers don't do that mm. and they're not held to account and it, it is actually really detrimental for the project as a whole. So we're really passionate about what the budget is and designing to that. To suit. 
Yeah. And because we want to, again, build that relationship with our client, we want the best outcome for them. Mm. And part of that outcome is maintaining their budget. Yeah, well, definitely. I mean, you know, they've got um, ticket sales and costs and things to to work out. Absolutely, yeah. You know, it's a substantial budget that they're putting together here. And there are always things that pop up in in the in the process of maybe a rehearsal season or yeah. a show season. It's like, oh, quick, we need something. Um, so there are those things that pop up, and so we manage it as best as best we can. But yeah, um, yeah scheduling our weeks to, to time manage is definitely part of the day to day. Big part of it. So for those out there in in education, um, students listening to this, teachers listening to this, mm. you've not gone the conventional path at all. No, indeed. Um, But the more I speak to people, the more I learn that it's not always the case, to tell you the truth, where people have moved to what they love or discovered what they've loved. What would be your advice for those out there in schools or universities that moving to set design and they're not sure they might have barriers, what, what would be your advice for some of those students and teachers out there? It was some advice that I received when I was going through uni. I was studying interior design and I had a conversation with one of my lecturers and he was asking, you know, what I, what do I do outside of uni hours and what do I do outside of, <laughs> out of um, interior design? I said, well, look, I dance. I'm really, I'm really passionate about dancing um, in, in ballet and contemporary. And, he, and I said, oh, look, but, uh, you know, I, I find hard to, to find the time and really pursue that and and he looked me dead in the eyes and he said don't give it up oh wow and I said why I I I was really curious as to his answer because he's definitely not a dancer himself um and I was like why is he so passionate about about me pursuing these things outside of outside of interior design he said those are the things that will differentiate you your passions your interests they those are things that will differentiate you as a designer and lo and behold I am now a yeah. set designer. And so I think if anyone is, is in that position, whether they're studying interior design, whether they're actually studying set design or costume design, um, or, or they might be in technical production, listen to what you are passionate about, what makes you come alive. Like where are those moments where you, they're like your yes moments and, yeah. and going, yeah, this is it. Like if I do anything for the rest of my life, I, I want to be involved in this, in whatever area that is. And start talking about it. Start talking about, about what, what, sorry, start talking about it with people that you, you know in the industry or find people, friends of friends or cold call the company or like almost the company that you're working for, let them know that you're really interested in doing this and keep moving forward. Absolutely, because people don't know unless you say. Um, and that was the biggest thing. Like I think I had people. There are so many people who have helped me along this journey, but it's always been a conversation about where I want to go. Or I'm thinking this. I'm not quite sure how to how to approach it. Um, but yeah, it is have a conversation. I think um, if you can. If, if you if you know someone or if you can find someone where you're that they're doing the job you, you really want to do, take them out for coffee, yeah, and and ask them about it. And it's invaluable. It really is yeah. for, for not just the opportunities that that might come of that conversation, but to get to know where even that person's coming from and where that might lead to. Yeah. Um, it's, um, it's, you're so right. It's that conversation and that connection. Um, but if we don't say and if we don't put those things in place, yeah. it's just not going to happen, is it? People, like for, for the um, students that are coming up, I think I, I would advise like people are less scary than you think. <laughs> yeah, that's very good advice. Like, it can feel very yeah, overwhelming. It can be very daunting. But yeah. If you are you you present with an attitude to learn as well as contribute, yep. it it really will make the difference in the the doors that people are willing to open for you. And I think it's also one of those things where, you know, if you do make approach and there isn't the response or the door isn't opened, that's just not your door. Find, yeah, was find the next door. Find you know? the I, think, one, yeah. I think we've all had the whole, oh, they didn't get back to me or they haven't this or 
keep looking for the door because there are really great people out there. And I know yeah. yourself, I know you've gone in and um, done tutoring and lecturing and, and masterclasses and putting the, mm. the practicality in with a number of universities. And, and it is about opening the door. And people aren't, you know, as scary as you think. Mm. And those that don't respond, find those that do. Absolutely. Yeah, I think we're, we're really um, passionate about paving the way. Yes. Um, and so, you know, we here we've got the Emergent Designers Program, um, and which is part of uh, um, uh, what we're doing in in assisting, the, like training in the industry and really practical um, project uh, applications there as well. So, but yeah, I'm very happy to have a coffee and oh, and chat nice. through any yeah. intel I can provide. So. Thank you very much for today, Fran. It's just been an absolute pleasure. And for those listeners out there, if you want to look at Fran's body of work, head to Iceworks Design website, which is www.iceworks.com. Or, of course, you can reach out to Fran directly through the APADA directory. Thank you, everybody, for listening, and we look forward to the next recording. Thanks, Lou.